than years ago. So it's, if you ever read the words, they can break your heart. It talks about how the Lord takes you through inner trials and break you of your earthly treasure so you can find all your hope and peace in him alone. Well, if you have your Bible, please open it to Colossians chapter 3. And also, uh, if you have it not, we do have connection pads on the inside of your row. If we would take a moment to, to fill those out for us, that would be awesome. Colossians 3, verses 18 through 21. I guess it would help if I have my Bible turned there, too. So I'm in a good mood because my dogs won yesterday. So I'm all smiles. I was nervous at first, but it came through in the end. Here's God's word if you in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. This is God's word. So please pray with and for me. Father, as we uh, come to your truth, um, we need your spirit to move. I'm not adequate to, to, to bring forth your word. I'm just a man, a sinful man, but, but beloved and redeemed by your spirit. And so I pray that he will come and just take control and that he will give a word to your people. You, you know them. You know their struggles. You know their fears. You know their insecurities. You, you know what, what they're dealing with this week. And so I pray that, that you will minister to them, Lord, to build them up, to build them up in you, to, to, re, to remind them that you are Emmanuel, that you are faithful, and that they will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That even though things are hard, even though natural disasters happen, you are not a God who is silent. You are not a God who has abandoned your creation. You are still working in and through your world. You are good. You are faithful. And so I pray that you minister to us in our broken places and help us to see our God who loves us more than we can even imagine. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You don't choose your family. They are God's gift to you as you are to them, said retired Anglican, Anglican Bishop Desmond Tutu. You don't choose your family. They're God's gift to you as you are to them. Is your family God's gift to you? How would you answer that question? How are you answering that question? Your experiences within your family will shape your answer. For some of you, you have black and white answers. Yes, my family is a gift. Or no, my family isn't a gift. My, my family is a blessing or my family is a curse, Pastor. Others will have shades of gray kind of answers. At moments, my family felt like a gift. Other moments, they felt like a curse. We're functional at times, and we're dysfunctional at times. 
You see, no matter how we answer the question, we all share a common reality, and that's none of us come from perfect families. None of us currently have perfect families, and none of us will ever have perfect families in the future, but we can have healthy families. That's a, that's a, okay, all right, you don't, unless you don't want a healthy family. We can have healthy families, and it, and it doesn't matter that your, your family makeup or your family dynamics. This is true for two-parent homes, single-parent homes, blended family homes where you have a stepmom and stepdad, homes where grandparents are raising their kids, or homes where siblings are raising their siblings, siblings or, and it's true for homes with no kids. It doesn't matter your family dynamics. God wants you to have a healthy family. And for Christians, those of us who have saving faith in Christ, it is your union with Christ that helps you build a healthy family. It is your union with Christ. You can't just leave Christ on the front porch and think you can build a healthy family without him. You need him. Because your union with Christ is what changes the way families relate to one another. It helps you do life together. And as I said a few weeks ago, if family matters to you as a believer, then you will strive to do life with your immediate family. You won't just live together in the same house. You will strive to do life together with one another, not just live together in the same house. And in Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21, the Apostle Paul gives us ways families can do life together, ways spouses can relate to one another, and ways parents and children can relate to one another. And I get to that next week. A few weeks ago, we, we talked about the way how union with Christ changes the way spouses relate to each other, and we talked about the wives. Today, we're going to talk about the husband. It's your turn, man. It's your turn. Because union with Christ changes the way you should relate to your wife. It changes the way you function as a husband. It should. He, you, a husband should function as a husband in his new self, in his new identity. He shouldn't relate to his wife in the old self. He shouldn't function as a husband in the old self. For the old self is self-centered. The old self is self-focused. And the old self only cares about number one, me. And the ways of the old self are listed in verses 5 through 9. Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Now, he's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to Christians. People, church folk who claim to know Christ, he's saying to them, put to death what is earthly in you. Basically, what is still in your heart, sexual immorality, impurity, self-centered passions, evil desires, and covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And he says to the believers, in these you once walked when you were living in them, but now put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. This is what he's saying as a husband or as a spouse. You don't be a, don't be a spouse in these things. Not in this way. You see, husbands, you will struggle with the old self in this way. I struggle with it. You struggle with it. But you don't have to live in those things with an unrepentant heart. So that's the difference. You struggle with a repentant heart. 
So, brothers, you, you, you don't have to be a husband who lives in anger and wrath and malice, slander, obscene talk, and lies. You don't have to be that way. You don't have to be a husband who lives in sexual immorality, impurity, self-centered passions, evil desires, and covetedness. You don't have to be a passive husband. You don't have to be a harsh husband. You don't have to be an abusive husband. You don't have to be an overbearing husband. You don't have to be a husband who rules over his wife. These are all amen statements, brothers. You don't have to be a husband who, who lives in lustful addictions. You don't have to be a husband who is physically present but emotionally absent from the home. You don't have to be that. You don't have to be a husband who's afraid to show weakness and admit weakness. You don't have to be a husband who tries to find his identity in being a husband. Nor do you have to be a husband who is haunted by the family origin issues. You are not your father. And for some of you, brothers, you need to hear that. You are not your dad. You can be free. You can change. There's always hope for us, brothers. Hope for me, hope for you. Because union in Christ changes things. That means something. If you are a Christian husband, you are in union with Christ. And that means something. That's just not empty talk. Ephesians 4, 22 and 24 says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, created after the image of God in true righteousness and true holiness. You see, in Christ, you can live differently because you have been reborn differently, with a new identity, with a new self. So you have to remember that all believers, all Christians, regardless of shape and size or color, are in union with Christ. They have spiritually died with Christ. They have been spiritually resurrected with Christ. They have eternal security with Christ. And they have a future transformation with Christ waiting for them when he comes back. And so everything about you is wrapped up in Jesus. Think about your life. Think about your existence. Everything about you is wrapped up in Christ. All your security, all your significance, all your value, all your dignity, all your self-worth, all those things are in Christ alone. And if you try to find them in other places, you're going to be let down. You're going to be let down. It's all in Christ. All believers are God's adopted sons and daughters. Do you believe that? God's adopted sons and daughters. You are his chosen ones, his beloved, his treasured possession. You are his kids before you are anything else before for God. I'm God's son before I'm his pastor. Whenever I get that out of order, I'm in bad shape. You are God's daughter before you are wife. You are God's son before you are husband. If you get it out of order, you're going to be in bad shape. You're going to be in bad shape. Who you are in Jesus always comes before what you do for Jesus. Who you are in him always comes before what you do for him. If you get get it out of order, you're going to be in bad shape. That needs to marinate into your heart. You must understand and believe your union with Christ. And once you do, then you can live a life that's worthy of him. And a life that's worthy of Jesus is a life that's lived in a new self. 
And the new self puts on new clothes, new qualities, new, new virtues. As Paul says in verse 12, put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and, and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, and forgiveness. These are the clothes that believers must wear. You wear them as you do life with your family. You wear them as you deal with family issues and brokenness and secrets. These clothes, along with the Spirit, helps you. The path to healing is through these clothes. The path to change is through these clothes. The path to health is through these clothes. Living in the new self will finally give some of you the freedom and the humility to admit, I have problems in my family. It will finally help you admit that there are issues. It will finally give you the meekness to say, I need to go to counseling. That's what the new self would do. You'll finally be able to, 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 to no longer hide. You can come out and say, yes, we have issues. The freedom to, to walk through the hardness of marriage without giving up. That's what the new self would give you. The freedom to say, my old self still haunts me. The freedom to, to, to give forgiveness and the freedom to extend forgiveness and the freedom to say, I've been a bad spouse, a bad wife and a bad husband, but I want to change. And you can change. It won't be overnight, but you can change. Jesus can fix it. That's just not a song. That's theology. He can fix it. If he can fix your sin, he can fix you as a spouse. You can function as a spouse in a new self. And you can be a husband in a new self. You can wear these new clothes. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, forbearance. What kind of family would you have if spouses operated in those things? If you lived in those things, how would your family look? How would your family have looked growing up? If those things were a reality, if family matters to a husband, then he would persevere to wear these clothes as he relates to his wife. These clothes, along with the spirit, will help you do what Paul calls all Christian husbands to do in verse 19. And he says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Husbands, love your wives. And do not be harsh with them. Likewise, the term husband is, is a role. It's a role given to men within marriage and family. And, role, and roles in marriage and family have nothing to do with value, dignity, and self-worth. Please understand that. There are roles given by God. It does, it does not, it's not a reflection of your value. Men and women are equally created in the image of God. Equal in value, equal in dignity, equal in self-worth, and yet distinguished, distinguished by gender. They complement one another. They are like opposites of one another. And marriage and family is where this is supposed to be lived out beautifully. God himself has placed an order within family and marriage. It's not man that created that. God created that. And he's given roles to both spouses. The wife is called to the role of helper. Husband is called to the role of headship. Headship. And like submission, 
headship has been misunderstood. It is even under attack. I understand why. Because like submission, the church has done a poor teaching job on headship. It has been abused within the church. and has been abused by Christian husbands. It has been. So we need to talk about what headship isn't before we talk about what it is. Back in July, Julia Bird co-authored an, an essay entitled Domestic Violence in the Christian Church in Australia. The essay begins with a detailed description of a broken marriage between a couple she calls Peter and Sally. And she changed the names and everything, but, but it's a real couple. She wrote, Peter streamed at his wife in nightly tirades for her alleged insubordination, for her stupidity, for her lack of intimacy, for her refusal to join him on a tornado ride at Queensland Water Park, for her annoying relationship with a woman he calls Ratface, for her sheer and complete failure as a woman. The abuse went on day and night. As Sally bore a child, worked morning shifts at the local hospital, stayed up late night breast, um, pumping breast milk for the baby, she was deeply exhausted, depleted, and worn. The night before she finally left her husband, he reminded her of her, of her failings on her spiritual duties. He said to her, your problem is you won't obey me. The Bible says you must obey me, and you refuse, he yelled. You are a failure as a wife, as a Christian, as a mother. You are an insubordinate piece of nothing. Is that headship? Is that what biblical headship looks like? If you think so, we need to have a coming to Jesus meeting when I'm done. That's abuse, not headship. That's ground for church discipline, not for a pat on the back. It's sinful. It's unacceptable. And it will not be tolerated. You see, biblical headship doesn't give a husband a license to abuse his wife, either emotionally, verbally, or physically. A headship isn't a green light to domestic violence. Please understand that. And some of you are like, Pastor, that's a no-brainer. But you'll be surprised at what happens in Christian homes. In the name of headship, you would be surprised at what happens in, behind Christian homes in the name of biblical headship. Second, biblical headship doesn't mean the husband rules over his wife. And, and that's what some of the critics of, of biblical headship believe. It believes it gives the husband the right to rule over his wife. And, and, and one critic writes, she says, she says, biblical headship, biblical womanhood and headship and authority teaches women that they have no right to choose. And she's a critic of headship. It says this is what it teaches, that a woman has no right to choose. Well, anything, a trip to the mall is up to her husband if he decides it's his business. If he determines she needs to stay at home and homeschool her kids instead of teaching her grad degree with her PhD degree, then there's no discussion. She gets, to stay. She gets no say in the matter. If he decides he, he wants to be intimate, then her headaches is of no consequence. If he decides she needs to be thinner, then she needs to go on the diet. If, if he decides she needs to wear makeup, then she goes to the store and get makeup. None of this is considered abuse. It's considered God's giving authority to the husband. And if a woman questions that authority, the force of the church community, the social connections, and the Christian doctrine backs the husband up. Again, is that headship? That is not headship. What, what she's talking about isn't headship. It's a misunderstanding of headship. It's abuse of headship. Headship doesn't mean the husband rules and lords over his wife. He's not her master. He doesn't own her. She's not his property. 
He doesn't get to micromanage her. Approve. Yes, you may go to the mall today. Yes, you may hang out with your friends today. That's not headship. That's not headship. He doesn't get to tear her how to dress and all those things. A husband doesn't rule over his wife. Third, biblical headship doesn't mean the husband has ultimate authority. Who has ultimate authority? Thank you. Amen. Second, he's not a dictator. He's not a king. He's not given the authority. He doesn't have the right to make all the family decisions without ever considering his wife, her views, her gifts, and her dreams. He doesn't get to set all the rules that benefit him at the expense of her. Nor does it mean he can force her to submit to him. And some, people, some Christian men believe this. Remember what I said a few weeks ago. Submission is what a wife gives to her husband because she loves and respects him. It's not what he forces out of her. Okay, brothers? It's what she gives to you. Gives to you. It's not what you force out of her. That's another amen statement. Okay. Christian husbands living in the old self without a repentant heart will always abuse headship. If you're living in the old self with an unrepentant heart, you will always abuse your role or you will abandon your role. It's not living a way that honors Christ. It will destroy your family. It will, it will, it will rob your wife of her dignity and self-worth. Biblical headship isn't abusive. It doesn't mean ruling over. It doesn't mean you have ultimate authority. But it does mean something. It does mean something. First, biblical headship means a husband would strive to be a sacrificial lead servant in his home. A sacrificial lead servant. You do life with your wife as a servant leader. A sacrificial leader strives to walk in the footsteps of Christ. How does Christ lead his people? Does he lord it over them? Does he abuse them? No, he doesn't. Mark 10, 45 says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, loved, Jesus served his church selflessly. He leads her with humility, with sacrifice. He, he takes his leadership seriously. He doesn't abandon his role and responsibility. He's not passive. He's not abusive. He's not, abusive. He's not a dictator. He's a sacrificial lead servant. And in him, Christian husbands can strive to do the same thing. Brothers, your, your wife doesn't need a husband who rules over her or abandons her. She needs a one who will lead her like Christ leads the church. Like Christ leads the church. Karen Howell, in her, in her article, Husbands Forget the Heroic, said, I once heard a Christian minister spend an hour on the biblical role of husbands and wives. He spent 59 minutes discussing the wife's need to submit and obey and one minute summoned up the husband's role. It was his grand finale, she said. Men, you must love your wives as Christ of the church. What does that mean? Dramatic pause. It means you must be willing to die for her. He sat down. Colorful images raced through my mind of my husband leaping in front of a bull, offering himself up for a cannibal in my stead. And she concluded by saying, most women... Don't want their men to die for them. They want their men to live for them. Most women don't want their men to die for them. 
They want their men to live for them. My brothers, my brothers, my brothers, my brothers. Do you understand that it changes your life if you do? Do you understand it? A husband with a sacrificial heart strives to live for his wife. Live for her in the mundane of life, in the practical little things of life. Like listening to her take 30 minutes to tell you something that should take five minutes. Listen. I know it takes five minutes for you, but it's going to take her 30. Listen. Do life with her. Do life with her. Do life with her. Brothers, you live for your wife as a selfless leader, as a selfless provider, as a selfless protector, as a selfless safe place for her, or your safe place for your wife. Live for her by putting her before you put yourself. And I'm preaching to myself here. Keep in mind, I had to write this. I'm preaching to myself. Second, headship means a husband strives to love sacrificially. Again, Paul says, husband, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. This this causes, again, to go back and look at the way Christ loves his church. He gave himself up for her sacrificially. He delivered himself up for her. Did you know that we didn't have to nag Jesus to go to the cross? Think about that. Jesus, I'm a sinner. My sin. Are you going to go to the cross? Jesus, I'm nagging you. Are you going to the cross? No, you didn't have to nag him to the cross. He didn't have to be guilted in going to the cross. He didn't, he didn't go to the cross because it was his duty. He went to the cross because he loves you. Voluntarily and willingly. That's why he went to the cross. And the husband should love their wife the same way. Not out of duty. Not because she nags you. But because you love her. Because you love her. Ephesians 5, 25 through 29 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the, the church himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For whoever hated his own flesh but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Sacrificial love nourish and it cherish. And, 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 and the word says no one hates his own body, but he nourishes that body. He cherishes that body. A hus- as a husband feeds and grooms and cares for, for his own body, that's how he should love his own wife. And that you, your love should nourish your wife. It should cherish her. And when you nourish something and cherish it, it means you have his best interest at heart. For husbands, nourish your wife by building her up. Encourage her. Pursue her. Husbands have a tendency, once we, once we get the wife, we get married, we get lazy. Because we already got the woman. Your wife still wants you to pursue her. The same way you pursued her before she said, I do, and came down the aisle to you. Pursue her. Take her out on dates. Tell her she's beautiful. Tell her all the reasons why you love her. That's what it means to cherish her and to, and to nourish her. She needs to know that you love her more than you love fancy football, golf, 
cars, sports, whatever it is, you, you, other things you have in your life, even more than your job. That's what she needs to know. Tell her that she's beautiful. Show her affection. Show her tenderness. Again, Karen Howe says, your wife has dreams and projects too. Have you thought about that? Your wife has dreams and projects too. Can you genuinely take an interest in her projects and sincerely rejoice with her when they prove successful? What if she receives a gift from God that's different from your own? Be glad for her. Encourage her in the appropriate use of them. Don't try to mold her, suppress her. Fulfill her. Honor her tastes and preferences as you honor your own, even if hers are different than yours. Paul urged Christian men to nourish their wives to Christ, nourishes and feeds the church. This means assessing her needs and physical, emotional, and trying to meet them. When Waikita and I first met, I met her at uh, her sister's wedding. You know, I was a young, reformed, and Calvinistic guy. And so my wife had to be the same way. And so I took upon my duty to give her books to read. <laughs> books to read about five points of Calvinism. Books to read called Doctrines of Grace. And, and I sent these books to her in the mail. And we are going to have all these Bible studies on the phone. <laughs> because before I can go with somebody, she has to be reformed in her theology. It's my job to do it. And so let's just say she resisted. And I'm glad she resisted. Because... What I was trying to do to my wife, I was trying to mold her into the image of the wife I wanted instead of accepting her for what I needed. That's what I was trying to do. And I'm thankful she didn't let me do that to her. And, and God convicted me. And the, 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 what changed me, what changed my approach, because we, when we broke up and got back together, I don't know how many times because of this stuff. <laughs> my friend, I was walking around, I was walking around, uh, Best Buy, and my mentor, I, I, re, I remember this conversation like it was yesterday. He says, Alex, you've got to believe God is sovereign in your life. got to believe he's sovereign. And I took that to mean stop trying to fix and control and micromanage everything. And so once I, was, once I accepted Waikita for who she was, not for who I wanted her to be, I was able to love her. I couldn't love her when I was trying to fix her, when I was trying to mold her. It was when I stopped trying to mow her into what I wanted her to be. And that's, what, that's how you, you nourish and cherish your wives, brothers. Accept her for how God has made her. Even those parts about her that gets on your nerves. You got to love even that. Love even that. You see, sacrificial love, it's not just, it doesn't just mean you nourish and cherish. It also means to be gentle and understanding. Paul says, don't be harsh with your wives, brothers. Don't live with them in bitterness and heartlessness. Instead, live with them with gentleness and understanding. Can you be gentle with her broken places? Can you seek to understand her emotionally? That's what a lot of wives want their husband to connect with them emotionally. Not try to fix all her problems. Because if she comes to you with a bad day, she don't want you to fix it. She wants you to understand and connect with her emotionally. Connect, understand her dreams, her hopes, her fears, her insecurities. 
if family matters to you, brothers, then you will strive to love your wife sacrificially. You will strive to live for her as a lead servant. I once read a blog post titled, The Real Truth About Boring Men and the Women Who Live With Them. I love that title. I know, a lot of good stuff today, right? The, the real truth about boring men and the women who live with them. The Bible post speaks out against a modern interpretation of what it means to be a romantic man. And, and the author's point is that, that real romantic men are boring because their romance is seen in the day-to-day ways they lay down their life for their wives. It's not for show. It's not put on Facebook or YouTube or Instagram or Twitter or Snapchat. It's for their wives only. That, that, that romance is simply for, for the one woman who has the affections of his heart. And listen to what this, this, this blogger writes about true romantic men. She says, the man who imagines slipping his arm around his wife's soft, thick, and middle-aged waist and whispering that he couldn't love her even more, who imagines that manliness of standing bold and unashamed in the, in the express checkout line with maxi pads or tampons, tampons, because someone he loves is having an unexpected Sunday, Saturday morning emergency. The real romantics imagine graying and sagging and wrinkling as the deepening of something sacred. The real romantics know that stretch marks are beauty marks, that different shaped women fit into different shapes of men's soul, and that real romance is really sacrifice. The real romantics are the boring ones. They let another's heart bear a hole into theirs. The, the, to be one of the boring men, let your heart be born into. And know that there are women who love that kind of man. The kind of man whose romance isn't flashy because love is gritty. The kind of man whose romance isn't about cameras, but it's about Christ. The kind of man whose romance doesn't go viral because it goes eternal. Romantic men know it's about living your whole life on your knees. Be a boring man, brothers. Be a boring man. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you that in Christ there is hope for us, brothers, that we can be boring men for the sake of our families and wives. And so I pray for each of us that you give us the humility, Father, to get help if we need help, to ask for forgiveness when we need to ask for forgiveness, Give us the humility and the meekness to to live for the women that you placed in our lives. It will be a struggle. But there's grace, Lord. And there's forgiveness, Lord. And so I pray blessings over all of us today as we leave here and go back out into the world for another week. I pray for those who are traveling. I pray for those who are in the path of the storm that you protect them and that everyone would make wise decisions. So, Lord, I pray for mercy for those in Florida and Georgia who will be impacted. So, again, Father, thank you for Christ. Thank you for him and his sacrifice for us. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Please.